Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Opperwall. And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb. Hi, Greg. Hey, man. Okay, so I think this was a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, we had what I thought was a really interesting conversation exchanged by by text message, which we often do. We, all, we don't Sometimes save all of our best material for this show necessarily, but uh, we, we sometimes revisit the good stuff when, when it's really good. Um, that, that we ended up talking a bit about harm and harm reduction and the ethics of harming other people. And I think there were two things that oh. kind of precipitated this discussion. One is a conversation that's uh, quite hot in the last week or two here in Canada, at least, which is medical assistance in dying. Uh, this is something Canadian listeners will know quite well what we're talking about. Those outside Canada um, may or may not be aware that Canada, and I, I believe it was 2016, but uh, somewhere in there, uh, legalized euthanasia for, for humans. Uh, and uh, people at the time, it was supposed to be just for people with terminal illnesses and, um, you know, just basically on death's door already and an incurable suffering and uh, could could now elect to to have a medically assisted death to be euthanized uh and over the last few years there have been continual expansions into who has the right the ability to do that uh and then there's another wave of expansions on the way um awaiting us so i think it's going to be anyone over 18 uh, you know for kind of all sorts of reasons and they go even beyond terminal conditions and that sort of thing uh, but there's also been a bit of a flap because um there's been a couple of stories in the news in the last week or two about um doctors and other people in positions of authority suggesting and and pushing individuals to consider um, what what we're calling medical assistance and euthanasia really who had 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 not in any way indicated that they were interested in that so you have you have people in a position of power basically kind of pushing pushing people maybe to, right. to euthanize themselves. And this is coming in the context of a, of a medical system that right now is, at least according to the media, basically in, in free fall and kind of collapse due to lack of staffing and, and all sorts of things. So it, it's, quite, yeah. it's quite the thing. So medical assistance in dying is back on everybody's mind after a few years where it's just kind of been happening and, uh, and we haven't, hasn't been much in the news. Uh, the other thing was, was not a major high profile thing, but I think it's weirdly and intimately connected and it was just a little line I read in the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, um, and, and this is the quote. It's about uh, the, the context is discussing sexual safety on college campuses and that sort of thing. And uh, from, a, from an expert um, whose name I, I didn't record down here, but this is the quote from the Chronicle. Quote, young people may benefit from learning how to talk about and negotiate consent related to choking, that is choking during sex, I shall say, back to the quote, and also how to mitigate health risks if they choose to engage in choking. Now, this just blew me away. I mean, you have an expert who's <laughs> trying to say, we're going to encourage people to be safer, you know, while having sex on campus or whatever. Uh, and because people are engaging this behavior, choking each other during sex, which I guess I take it has become sort of popular lately somehow, okay. um, you know, we should train them to do it more safely. And I'm just thinking to myself, that's, I mean, 
Yeah. I don't like I hardly even have words. I mean, I there to me it seems pretty damn clear what the safe way to deal with that is. Don't do that. <laughs> do not choke a person really ever. Uh <laughs> that's a start. Certainly including <laughs> while while making love to them. Um that'll keep you nice and safe from the risks of choking. Uh the yeah, no risk to not choking somebody uh-huh. but i think these two things are interconnected because and where our conversation went and in the piece that i want to kind of come back to and open up to you so we can talk about uh-huh. it here uh-huh. on the record is this issue of both of these things both medical assistance and dying and this little vignette about choking during sex both center on the notion that it's okay to hurt or in fact even kill somebody if they want you to it's okay right. to choke your sex partner if they want you to. Now, if they don't want you to, that's a that's a crime. It's an indictable right. offense in Canada or a felony if you're in the United States. And it should be, I think, absolutely. I wonder if it maybe uh, should be a crime even if they do want you to, which is kind of the topic that I think we're kind of circling here. Right. Uh, but if, if they do want you to, then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, well, the same people who are engaged in trying to prevent sexual violence on campus, which is a noble goal. Uh, I got to turn around and say, well, if it's consensual, then we want to teach these people how to do it safely. And this is a piece where I feel like something weird is going on. And it's the same kind of thing with medical assistance and dying. If this person wants to die, it's okay for a doctor. It's okay for us as a medical system to kill them because they wanted that. So right. I don't know what's going on here, Greg, because you had some oh. interesting things to say about it. Lord only knows. Um, yeah, I wonder... And I'd have to think back about what, what I said in that context, but, but at least part of it was probably something like, well, you know, like what it, what it feels like is it feels like the wheels are coming off mm-hmm. and it feels like the wheels are coming. What, what the wheels are coming off of is, uh, is, is a culture that, um, is is attempting to uh, maintain its unity only through uh, the satisfaction of desire, right? So you can't. So so trying to give trying to give order towards the good uh, through uh, political state mechanisms only tends to upset people and uh, you know foment conflict or whatever, uh, and that's the problem of religion and religious violence and so forth. Uh, and so the best the best path towards peace is kind of a minimalist liberal state in which in which people are free uh in which the existence of the state is is to uh, make it possible for everyone to to uh uh you know attain their desires as as you know as far as possible right and to a certain extent like it's a hell of a solution right is you 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 take you relieve people of the burden from having to fall in and conform to a particular vision of the good and just let them want what they want, right? Whatever it happens to be. And you try to, you try to get out of the way, as long as it doesn't hurt, hurt one another, right? As long as you're not infringing upon one another, um, upon one another's rights, as long as you're harming each other and so forth. But otherwise you can't define, like you can't, you can't give any definition to desire. You can't really place any limits other than those. Right. And, and to a certain extent it works. Um, 
Although the although the question sort of becomes whether whether you know whether we were flying the whole time, whether it did in fact work, or whether we were falling and just didn't know it yet. And it does feel you know so so stuff like stuff like this comes up, and it just feels like, like I said, the wheels are coming off, right? Like you start pushing it because there's no real end to human desire. The humans can desire, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's no natural limit to human desire. If you, if you let us, we will find a way to desire any crazy thing, right? Anything. Death There's itself. No, death itself. Death itself. And so here you have, you're pushing up against that. You're pushing up against that boundary, right? You're pushing up against that boundary of like, you, you know, you're free to want what you want. And that's how we'll maintain the peace and order of our, of our society. Um, as long as it doesn't, as long as it doesn't harm others. Well, and that, so then you ask, right? Then you ask like, what if, what if I want to be harmed? Yeah, exactly. That's what right? I was What if I want to be harmed? Yeah. Yeah. So now I mean, you're at that border, that border place. Now you yeah. have to start, now you start, have to start deciding, well, oh, well, what if you do want to be harmed? How do you know we want to be harmed? How do I know you want to be harmed when I'm the one being asked to harm you being asked, quote unquote? Well, yeah, I mean, and this is this is what I find so interesting about these two two situations, two cases. Is that it does seem I I think I would have said, you know, maybe a couple of years back that that that's exactly it. You know, you can kind of do the, the goal of the society is to allow you to do this society is to allow you to do whatever you want whatever you want and the only real boundaries you can't hurt other people but with these two little examples both in kind of quick succession i just kind of opened my eyes to the recognition that that's it's not even that actually at all Mm -hmm. because if they want you to hurt them then then that's that's okay Mm -hmm. uh we're gonna say formal reason to do it you know safely or whatever you know just safely hurt safely choke the person you're having sex with safely hurt them and put them at risk, uh, but we're going to make the risk a little less. So, so the volition is apparently the volition is what is apparently at the at the true center of it all. I guess it would seem, right. and mm-hmm. that that causes me to then look back a little bit and think it's kind of interesting to reflect on that um, in terms of uh, you know a lot of the you you asked earlier were we were we flying this whole time and it was working well or were we actually falling and and we didn't know it and sort of flapping our wings as we. As we careen towards ground. Oh, wow. And it makes me think maybe we were doing a little more of the falling than I might have given credit for. Because one way you can construe a lot of what's happened, uh, you know, and I, I think it's it's easy to think about this in terms of modern sexual ethics, is, is not actually all that different, is to say that people who, by, by having sex with each other, are pretty much by definition hurting each other because whatever they're strangers okay. and they're putting each other at risk of diseases and pregnancies and various and emotional harms. Um, but they both want to do it. So it's uh-huh. okay. And that like the choking thing just puts that in such high relief to say, it's just so clearly harming a person, like just physically yeah. harming a person. Yeah. Uh, but they want you to do it. Um, and so, but yeah, you- maybe we've just been, maybe we've just been following this whole while. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, what's the, what exactly is the logic? Maybe we can tease this out a bit, but like off the top of my head, it, it, it feels like the presumption is that 
um, what people desire, as long as you kind of have this prohibition against harming one another, as long as, as, long as you're, uh, as long as you're uh, precluding those things, assuming that we can even tell what, you know, what that means, then whatever's left over will, you know, basically whatever desires left over will only be for flourishing, right? That human desire, as long as you can kind of legally cu cut off the desire, these sort of irrational desires to, to murder one another and, and, and so forth. Other than those, you know, other than those, you know, obvious cases that humans will basically desire to live and flourish and pursue their good. And we just won't define what that is for you. But like, is that actually true? You know, have we, have we, um, blinded ourselves to just how much humans desire death, just how much we desire the risk of death, how much we desire kind of the thrill, like how much death and, and risk and potential loss uh, is actually part of the things that we desire, mm. both for good and for ill. Right. Like, doesn't it, doesn't, isn't there something about the, the rhetoric of the liberal society that, that presumes too much of a rosy view of human desire? I mean, certainly it's that it's absolutely that, but even where desire is good, like, you know, the, you know, one cannot accomplish anything in this life without sacrifices. Right. And, but sacrifices hurt. It isn't there, isn't there some, and, and it's an assumption of risk. Right? Like, is there not a, a much darker or or less, you know, uh, you know, underdefined or something aspect of human desire that has to be there that we have just been pretending that doesn't exist? Something really, really dark. Really dark. And sincerely, sincerely quite evil lurks within us. That's certainly the case. And it's not just, you know, I get angry at my neighbor and, and you know, whatever, want to kill him for how, however that happens. But like even, but even to, even to take pleasure in darkness, right? Even to take pleasure in things that under different lights we think of as, as, um, you know, undesirable bondage, slavery, uh, you know, um, physical pain and so forth. What do you think is up with that? Like what? What the hell is going about on about human desire? That? Yeah, I mean, why would why? It's probably too. I mean, it's not a question we can answer or something here, mm. but maybe it's one worth chewing on. Like what? Because that that seems to me to be absolutely evident, and I, I think it has been observed before. I'm not going to right. be able to quote this psychologist or, or name the person. I'm there, I have run across this idea in psychological literature as well that there, you know, the desire to desire for death and desire for harm of oneself and others. Death drive. I mean, it's Freudian death it, drive. Yeah, 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 exactly. And maybe it is, maybe it's just Freud actually. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I remember reading much of it in Jung, but anyway, um, right. like what, what is that, man? 
you certainly can't make any sense of it in, in, in the framework of this kind of naturalist, at least I can't make any sense of it in the framework of this naturalist evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology thing that right. seems to be all the rage, you know, human behaviors and any animal behaviors should be just that which is consistent with, uh, you know, their survival, um, you know, over time. And you hear all these explanations of human behavior. Oh, well, millions of years ago when we kind of lived, you know, out on the African plains, then, you know, we needed to do this and that. And, uh, and so, and so, you know, uh -huh. so maybe we, maybe we like to have community because being in community has allowed us to survive. And sure, that makes sense. I mean, okay, I get it. But why would we, why would we have these deep inner drives? I think we all have to hurt ourselves. It's certainly not going to be explained by no. evolutionary psychology. No. So, I mean, feel, feel free to take a stab at it from like a, a more rational point of view, like one that takes into account, you know, demons. Is there, yeah, right. Is it not, is it not like, is it not that we intuit the possibility of something new from, from death? Is it not the, you know, the principle of the grain of wheat, right? Which cannot bear fruit unless it falls to the earth and dies. Is it not something like, and then, you know, but then there's risk and misuse possible there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I just remember recalling um, an interesting episode of um, Radiolab on, uh, on, on evolution um, and talking about birds, right? And beauty, a beauty in evolution. And like, there are good arguments to be made about, um, you know, there are birds out there that are less fit for survival because of their adaptations towards beauty mm -hmm. and their adapta adaptations toward beauty, apparently for the, you know, the attraction of mates who then are not apparently not simply just uh, attracted to them because of their fitness, right? Because their, because their pursuit of beauty for the mate has made them in you know weaker in some significant sense right like there are these there there are these these instances uh you know out there where real you know real cost has been paid right for the attainment of something good and i think like i think that's that's probably the basic it seems to me the basic logic of why you could never get rid of it Right. And why you would you would always have to account for it when you're talking about human desire and what, you know, what people in a society will wind up desiring. Like you're always going to have to account for the fact that that people are going to desire. Loss. For something right for some for the, for the sake of something greater to be to, you know, be bound up for the sake of a greater pleasure or whatever it is. Right. There's so always... you're, you're sort of framing it as a twisted asceticism. Yeah, that may be part of it. I, I think there's, I mean, just in my own experience, I feel like there, there are more, more sinister forces though, that maybe are just, just truly sinister uh, in, involved in this sometimes. I mean, a kind of, you know, real and raw hatred. There's a certain thrill to, yeah. to hatred. And if, it can be even more thrilling when directed at the self, uh, it just, which is maybe, maybe it's just that's just purely simply demonic influence that just, 
tap, you know, tapping in or bu- the bubbling up of some kind of, you know, really almost cosmic force that really does hate, hate the light, hate that which is made made manifest that blooms in things like life physically being alive you know uh blooms in things like yeah like like sincere pleasure uh and and there's some force in us that just i don't know maybe i'm the only one but i doubt it based on all these behaviors but why yeah yeah well what are those you know what's hatred for right uh what's hatred for yeah, what is it for? Hate with a perfect hatred isn't or isn't that? Uh, am I just making that up? Is that fake scripture? <laughs> uh, doesn't ring a bell. Hate with perfect hatred. <laughs> I mean, it's you know cutting off. I mean, we've had we've had conversations about hate and the importance of hate sometimes in in protecting yourself, right? In protecting yourself. But yeah, like every, yeah. you know, even I guess, I, you know, if a demonic, a demonic hatred doesn't isn't a hatred that springs up out of nowhere for its own purpose, but is a but is a kind of twist of something that is that is proper and good. But that doesn't but but that doesn't mean it's not demonic. It is. Right. That's, you know, so when it so if it's if there's. Yeah. So so you have you have a culture that that winds up that winds up going excessively in a direction of of acceptance premature acceptance of death of suicide of like throwing in the towel when when perhaps courage is what's called for um and what is that How do you think we would view harming others if we put Christ at the center of our thinking, as is our as is our goal on the show? Because I've been gnawing on that a little bit. Like what thinking about something like medical assistance and dying. I mean, I very I have a very visceral and very instinctive you know response to that, which is uh-huh. that this is this is disastrous. And then there's also all, you know all manner of policy arguments that we can make and that have been made and that were made when this started coming in uh, that have almost all proved to be true already. Just It's right. actually quicker than I expected. I expected it to take maybe a couple decades for right. us to get to the point where we actually have doctors, uh, you know, telling, suggesting to people that maybe they should kill themselves. <laughs> and and uh, we have the spread of it down to, you know, people who really aren't terminal anymore and starting to do it for people who are mentally ill. Um, so there's all these kinds of policy arguments and that sort of thing. Uh, but what I, you know, what the topic I was bringing up here today is, is that issue of like, what, what is, what is our relationship to harming others? Um, one of the things as we've been kind of talking about here that, that this culture seems to want to hold on to is that notion that you shouldn't harm other people. And I think, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a North American who would disagree with that. But of course, this raises the question of what counts as harming. And then we, this is kind of exactly what we've been talking about. So it appears that within a lot of the discourse, then I can transform harm into not harm by wanting it. So my volitional desire right. that I want you to do that makes what would be 
harm, in fact, what would be extreme harm into suddenly now absolutely okay. So if you kill me, if a doctor kills me, that is murder. They could go to jail possibly for the rest of their life. Uh, if I ask them to do it, it's now uh, not only not murder, it's like this really noble thing. You know, that, that we, should be, we should be lauding these people. And that's, that's called now a death with dignity, supposedly. Supposedly, I am mm -hmm. now dying with dignity. Uh, and the only thing that has changed, the only thing that has changed is that I asked the doctor to, to kill me. And that's, that's the difference between a laudable so-called dignified death and straight up legal murder and jail time and the loss of license forever for the same doctor. That's, man, I mean, it kind of blows me away. <laughs> like that's the line. And so it's an absolute, an absolute hinge point in our concept of harm. Completely, just flips yeah. the exact same act from pure, pure harm, terrible harm to completely, completely okay. So, like, what would a Christian viewpoint on harm be, do you think? Well, um, as, as far as I can tell, you know, harm, like, what one experiences as harm depends on, um, you know, de depends on the person. Uh, if you, like, depends on perception, right? It depends on perception. Um, and... Like I think, I think integral to the Christian insight uh, is is that we have mistaken perceptions of ourselves, right? Yeah. We have we the the mechanism the mechanism by which we perceive ourselves and our surroundings and interpret, you know, what happens to us and so forth. The mechanism is broken. The image of God has has been distorted, and needs uh, and needs healing. Like one of the key moments in Augustine's Confessions is exactly when he realizes like that all all the problems that he saw in the world as you know problems of creation as a you know which is sort of the manichaean interpretation of things was it was a was a misunderstanding it was a misapprehension of the of of what of what was going on and what he experienced as um unpleasant he likened to um someone who's sick finding bread distasteful right about you know a sick palate can't can't rightly apprehend the the quality of the quality of what's you know what you're taking in your mouth but what of, of the bread you're trying to eat right to a sick palate bread bread tastes gross as he says right so like so you need a high you need right so the will goes this way and that the will wants various things um, and because it's not, it's not necessarily grounded in the truth. You can't, like, you can't rely on the on the human will. You can't rely on your desires. It's actually extremely deceiving, right? What I happen to want at the moment is not a very good indicator of, uh, of what's best for me, right? And that's kind of the lie, right? That's kind of the lie we tell ourselves is that, it, you know, politically. That we find peace because whatever people want, because people will naturally want what's best for them. That's a lie. Yeah. Right? That's the yeah. lie. It is it is by no means assured that people want what's best for them. Of course, the specter of paternalism arises here, right? Who are you to tell me what, what's best for me? 
Well, yeah, but, and it was. But, I, that's that's an interesting an interesting angle because, I mean, on this on this medical assistance and I made stuff. Uh huh. You know that's that's exactly what's kicked it into the news in the last couple of weeks. People saying here, well, you know, what you should want is euthanasia. Why don't you want that? You know, and and some people who are resistant to that, then there are there are many of us people like me who, you know, would absolutely never never agree to that. Uh, you know, on religious principle of nothing else, and this kind of paternalistic. You know, here we are, the, we are the medical establishment. And like, you should be. Come on, this is, this is good. Like, why don't you? Why don't you want this? Um, which is yet even another level. Like at that point, you really have you you truly have flipped the the whole system. You're you're not really anymore saying, well, whatever people want. Now it's totally okay for me to kill them if that's what they want. Now you're starting to say. We're getting paternalistic again, but I want to do the opposite on the other side, you know. Instead of saying, you should want to live, and the person is saying, Well, I well, I don't, you know, F you. You don't tell me what to do. And I say, Yeah, you know, don't you want to die with dignity? Uh huh. I mean, who doesn't want to die with dignity? And dying with dignity means I, Dr. Me, get kills you. That's how you die with dignity. How would don't you want that? Of course you want that. Come on, let's have another conversation. Let's make sure we we get you there, right? Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no non, uh, there's no non-tradition based social order. Like there's no neutral social order. You can't, right? It's as though like to, 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 to presume that, to presume that, you know, people should just be left to desire what they desire because they'll always naturally desire the best for them is, is to imagine some world in which no one has any impact on on anybody else and everyone's desires are just kind of in in baked and uh you know uh, uh emerging spontaneously out of a out of a out of a, out of an, an integral self right a self-identifying self and that's just again it's a lie it's just not true i mean the, when you were talking initially the first thing that came up to me it came up to my mind was was just like one common pattern here is that um, for all the all the advertising we have in our culture, we still don't really appreciate the power of suggestion, the power of the power of advertising, the power of you know the power that just having something like made being possible, the power that has to impact how we think about ourselves in a in a situation. Like to me, you know, um, for, for my wife's pregnancy for our third child, we had, uh, we had midwives for all of our, all of our kids. Uh, um, this, uh, our, our third child, Hannah was born in Winnipeg and we had midwives here. It was the only midwives we had here in Manitoba. And, uh, and you know, Amanda has uh, struggled with, you know, in during pregnancy with you know, some anxieties and sleep and 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 these kinds of things. Pretty, you know, it's very it's a big deal to the person. But you know, you talk around and a lot of people have these kinds of issues, right? Like yeah, it's pretty run of the mill yeah. type stuff. Absolutely she's worried she's not going to be able to get to sleep, and now that she's pregnant, she can't take any. You know, if she did want to take sleep medication, then you know, like there's a lot that's off the table because she's pregnant and so forth. Blah blah blah. So you're talking with the with the midwife about um, about these anxieties and whatever, and what like walking through the options, and like you know, so the midwife who's who's 
role, vocation is to bring children into the world. It talks about, well, we could do this and, and, you know, there are these kinds of things that we can explore. And then, but then if it gets really, uh, if it's, if it's a real crisis, then we would talk about terminating the pregnancy. And it's like, wow, for real. I, I don't, like, I don't think you've ever told me this before. I like that's sitting in a blows my wife's mind. office, hearing her suggest the possibility of terminating oh. the pregnancy as a Over way of anxiety of, well, of anxiety and sleep loss. Yeah. Oh, I'm shook right now, dude. Legit. My God. And, is... and uh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. You got me rattled. <laughs> and it's, and it's the same it's for listeners and viewers. This is, this is not scripted. I am not acting. Oh my God. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I can't like, I don't even know what I would, what did you do? Like, what did you say? The funny thing is that I think like, I, oh, we talked about this. Um, Hannah's five and a half now, almost six. And we talked about this only like a year in the, this last year. And, and she, a man has no recollection that she said this when, when, okay, you know, okay. which is funny. Um, I very clearly heard it, and I like I did not know what to say. I was just as dumbfounded. Like this is not I could this is not a thought that I could handle in the context of of a midwife appointment in the birth center where the midwife like being in a midwife's office and hearing this and hearing the the suggestion of of uh, of terminating the pregnancy. It's like, ah, uh, no, I, I mean, I think I said something fairly minimal, but, but straightforward, like, I, I, you know, I don't think we'll be considering that option. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would have had any, I might not have said a thing at all, but. Well, right. Oh man. Like, what is even, what is even happening? My thoughts after this story, because that's, that is just wild well and the logic uh, is the same right that's how that's how made exactly that's what i was it's just like, gonna this say is the logic healthcare. is the same this is not... we've gotten to this point where these problems mm -hmm. are intractable we can't solve them and we're gonna solve them by killing well and it with euthanasia we'll kill you <clears throat> in this case we'll we'll kill the baby uh but we're you know we're gonna kill our way out of, of the problem out of here. <laughs> and this is like it's and i like i think that's just it is that we somehow lost lost the will we've lost we've lost actual hope i think uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. which is a topic i've been i've been working on quite a bit because i think <clears throat> i think my next book might be about hope in this in this kind of way um actual hope which is really importantly different from you know optimism uh, -huh. uh which is to be able to look at something that that may be very hard possibly very, very hard. And things like uh, um, perinatal anxiety and mood issues are, are very serious and very real <clears throat> and not, not something to be dismissed lightly. And my, my wife, that's her, she's a therapist and her right. focus is, is in that work. So I hear a lot about it and it is, it is not, uh, it's, it's real stuff. These are big challenges. Legit. Um, the the thing about hope is, it seems to me, is all about 
our capacity to have faith in the fact that we can ultimately kind of get get through those things, really. I mean, it's very closely connected to faith that we can make the best of those things. Not that they will be fixed, though. Right. Like the the hard thing may just keep being really hard. Having a baby may be very, very difficult. You may have a lot of really big struggles. But there's something really important about having people around you in the church or in the medical establishment who come to you and say, here's what we're going to do to help. Right. Not, we made it, we probably aren't going to be able to fix the, fix it. And certainly it's not going to be a quick fix. If you're struggling with perinatal mental health issues, I mean, it's, you're not just going to like, I don't know, come to a doctor and they're like, Oh, well, all you need is, I don't know, <laughs> a glass of wine. Or I, I guess you would be yeah. drinking as like, here's a little pill and it'll be fixed. And you're just going to feel completely okay tomorrow. Like well, th- there's no yeah. such thing. There's nothing like that, but come to you and say, well, number one, this is going to be hard. And it's going to continue to be hard. But here's some things that I can do to help. And here's some things that you can do uh, to take responsibility also for yourself and make the situation better and livable and survival. And no matter what, I mean, to be able to look at you and say, one thing I will promise you is we'll get through this. We'll get through this. Not, well, you know, if it's really, really bad, I guess we can kill your baby. Like, I, I mean, I just even have to highlight, like, just recall that the one thing they would never say is, you, you know what, sweetheart, it's going to be okay. Just have a glass of wine, you know, right. try to relax, right? They would never say that. They'll kill the ch- They'll offer to kill the child before right. recommending a glass of wine, uh, you know, to help calm your nerves. <laughs> and that's like, think about that. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. That is nuts. So you can't yeah. do you can't do anything. You couldn't prescribe a medication that has some risk to the child. Not not that I would. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I recommend yeah, just yeah. doing neither of these things. You know, take yeah, care yeah, yeah. of your child. Yeah. Uh, but it, that actually, that really is an interesting observation. Like, well, we wouldn't do that because it's like med- medically contraindicated for the health of the yeah. child. Ergo, those are off the table. But of course, abortion is not off the table. <laughs> Oh my goodness, man. But yeah, that's exactly what it is with, with, with the medical assistance and dying is, you know, we, we have, there's, there's just, there's that loss of, there's that loss of a capacity for deep, real, actual hope, which is to say that we will, we will find that we will find value and life and survival and meaning and significance even if this is very, very hard, and even if it's very hard for a long time, and even if it's very hard for the rest of your life, that message is just gone. We've we, we've abandoned that. Um, and maybe it's because it's just way too close to faith. I don't know. It's almost the same thing as faith. Yeah, you know, I've been, I think from time to time, like, I don't really know what hope is. Um, so it would be helpful to talk through this a bit. But But even now, just hearing you talk, because reading it, being a reader of Augustine once upon a time, anyways uh very clear what faith is Hmm. and how it interconnects with love um and how those two things work hope has always been a bit of a black box but you know it's i feel like it's something about this and and it's it's particularly christian 
um, that one's trials and difficulties can be used, can be useful. Hope is not exactly as you said, is not, it's hope does not entail being an optimist that things will work out okay, that the thing that's causing you to suffer will, will go away. But, but probably something more like the suffering that you will experience uh, can, can be used. Christ is in the suffering. Christ has suffered too and as a result uh, and, has turned, and has turned suffering and death into life. And therefore, you can participate in the resurrection and turn your suffering into life. And it doesn't mean it gets rid of it. Suffering comes and goes as it will. But that it can be used. That good, that good can come out of it, but not in some sort of trite way, like lessons learned. But that it can be used to, to, to achieve union with Christ, and proximity to the Father, to be drawn to the Father. Right? And that is, that is certainly, I mean, you would need... You would need a Christian society. You would need a Christian. I was going to say society. I mean, you need the church. You would need the, the liturgical life. You'd need the prayer life, uh, and the and the and union with Christ and the wisdom of, of the fathers and and the guidance of 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 our you know our spiritual our spiritual leaders to to know to to even perceive coming suffering that way and in a secular society that you just don't. What do you have? Right? What do you have? What do you have to say that you know? I know you want. I know that this is painful, and you want to end it all. Um, but you, but your suffering can be used to to for for something even greater, right? Christ can bring something even greater out of that suffering than you can currently comprehend. Yeah, we I mean, don't, it's, don't have that, right? We don't don't have that. All no, have we don't. We don't. It's connected to the shaping of the will, as you were discussing before which i had written down because it seems so crucial that we don't even know what to want because as you're oh. talking i was just was reflecting on okay we want i want the suffering to end i want i want the pain to go away and so you know these are even today relatively extreme responses to that but less extreme responses with you know painkillers which you know i i over the counter stuff anyway i i use myself sometimes like migraines so i take the advil mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say there's no place for that, but um, in a kind of in that bigger sense, not just the pain of a headache or a, you know or a bruise or something, but the the pain, the difficulty of maybe having you know bringing a child into the world, which is painful and very very difficult. These bigger kinds of things, we want the pain relieved, but what, for what? Then we're left with what is mm-hmm. like. What do we want to be doing instead of suffering? And maybe it's the fact that we have no answer to that question as a secular society that that causes us to to be a lot less consistent. At some time, at some point, we we so desperately want pain to go away, and that becomes so clearly the good in the eyes of our society that you know we, we're falling all over us. We're killing unborn babies or or, or full grown adults. F- in the name of relieving pain, because it's that important. And then at other moments we turn around and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, choking your lover or whatever, this is the, the inflicting of pain. Well, because all of a sudden that's what, now what you want. 
I mean, we're just being ping pong. There's no, there's just no center at all. Just whatever whim, you know, I, I want this pain to go away or, and then, you know, tomorrow yeah. I, I, I want to be choked. I want to be hurt, you know? And yeah, because I don't know, I don't know what the hell to do with myself or my time or my existence. I don't know what to do with being alive. Okay. So I relieve the pain. Well, but so now for what? Now for what? If I have no, just to watch YouTube or something? I mean, I don't know. Like, well, yeah. Yeah, so you're anxious, you can't get sleep, you know, babies on the way, very understandable feelings, very hard feelings, really difficult thing. Uh, but let's say we make that go away by aborting the child. Well, now what are you going to do, though? What are you yeah, going to do I mean, instead of, of dealing with those things and for the purpose of bringing your child into this world, which is a pretty, pretty powerful, remarkable, beautiful thing to do. That's you can have, you know, if you're in that situation, that exact situation, there's a hell of a lot of meaning. I mean, you're not short on meaning as, right. as you get ready for a new child or right after having a new child. But you may be very, also very, very high on suffering, but it has that kind of point yeah. to it. And so now, well, you can yeah. get rid of the suffering, but then for for what? Yeah. Sometimes and, you can't. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is sometimes you cannot have the things that are meaningful without the suffering. You can't, you can't have a baby without suffering. Certainly as a woman, but even as a man, even as a dad. Right. I mean, we have, by and large, in most cases, an easier go of it we do um no, there's, there's exceptions even to that but still you know by and large fine but you know whatever we lose sleep to and there's there's lots of things uh and it can be and men have perinatal mental health issues sometimes so like less often of course of course it's a physical pain for women and all that but you can't you just can't it is literally impossible for to bring a life into the world to have a child without pain quite severe pain well, and that's the like, and that's how you understand the the meaningfulness of the of the suffering that makes it worth enduring, right? Is that there's new life, yeah. and your and exactly your point is that it's not it's less clear. Uh, it's less clear when when we're trying to get rid of other kinds of pain or manage other kinds of pain, uh, if you don't if if you don't have something that's like new life that you see in the child, it it render it renders it less meaningful right it robs it of meaning right which is exactly why then you know wanting to die is an intelligible uh is an intelligible desire um but yeah it's worth yeah i mean it's worth thinking about uh, thinking about a little bit more i mean i think there's probably a few threads we can pick up here in the second half yeah sounds good well let's pick some of them up we'll see you over there sounds good all right. Thanks, everyone, as always, for listening. Uh, please visit us at uh, patreon.com slash menamongdemons uh, to support the show. Uh, the second half of every episode is available only to our patrons on patreon.com slash menamongdemons. Here's a little taste of what you'll hear this time in the second half. To be ruled by the belly, to have what you want, right? To ingest, to consume what you want just because you want it. That's the belly. I want this. I want that. It's like, well, why should I not have this and that then? All right. Well, Greg, I will see you over there. See you on the other side. 
Your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash menamongdemons for exclusive content and to join the conversation. 